Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, it's been a minute. Um, you know, I think the last time we talked, Florida was kind of on a portal heater. Uh, they had been really racking up the W's in the transfer portal. And then, you know, I don't want to say that their momentum was halted by Tyler Perry's kind of commitment to Kansas State, which I know um, – I had expected and, and some people kind of figured out what's going to happen a little later, but when he announced it was obvious. Uh, And then subsequent to that, you know, maybe the momentum stopper was the Deedon Thomas commitment to UNLV. Although again, I think there are probably listeners who would say, yeah, that wasn't that surprising. Um, Your thoughts on Perry. We'll, we'll just start there. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts on Perry are when a team just made the um, made made it so deep into the NCAA tournament the way the Kansas State did um, with they when they did it with a small guard making huge shots um, being impactful on the defensive end um, when you see the program momentum of of a, of a new coach that kind of uh, hit the ground running and is a bit of a media darling and people seem to love him. It's it's one of those ones that like I, I I don't know like if if someone has their orange and blue glasses on I think that they could say like oh what a disgraceful miss for the Gators and I mean you can argue if it's a bad miss for the Gators or, or, or not and we probably should discuss that um, but I think on the surface um, it's it's one of the ones that I, I I understand I think the Gators put in a, a a good pitch and Kansas State probably has has a better pitch and it's it's one of those things where. Uh, I know that every everything about college basketball and and the way that these players are making decisions and the way that recruiting is working, even in the period of the transfer portal, is 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 changing rapidly. And it's very much a "what have you done for me lately" world. And I just think that uh, yeah, you go on a run like that Kansas State did with the outstanding small guard and, and Marquise Noel. I mean, like that's that's a pretty good pitch to um, to a player. Um, like Tyler Perry. So yeah, it's one that uh, is, is disappointing. This is a, this is a player I would have certainly loved to see as a Gator. Um, but one that I don't think anyone is, is, is too surprised uh, that, that Kansas state won out for his services. Yeah. I didn't think it was uh, terribly surprising. You know, I, I, again, I think I was kind of out ahead of it a little bit uh, telling at least some people that had kind of DM'd and asked, you know, Hey, I, I'm pretty sure that he's going to go to Kansas state. Uh, he did for, I think, I think you've elucidated the reasons for that in terms of a miss. I mean, I honestly, I think Kansas state's a great play, a great example of why it's probably too late to say, or too early to say, not too late to say, um, you know, I mean, Jerome Tang talked a lot about how their roster wasn't full until August last year. Um, and a lot of folks that, then when in September and October were filling out their ballots for the big 12, we're kind of like, man, they didn't even fill their roster until the end of August. What a mess. It's going to be a hard year for Jerome Tang. And he said, no, we, we never really felt that way. Now, one of those guys was Keontae Johnson who had to wait for medical clearance. And I think kind of waited to see what programs were going to be interested in him um, before choosing late. But I think that's important to sort of recognize that in the world of the portal, there's nothing that says, Hey, you've got to fill out your roster by May 31st or anything like that. You don't really need to do it in, you know, it used to be 
as soon as the NBA deadline to say whether you're staying in the draft or come back, that's when you wanted to know what your roster looked like. And I, I don't think that that world exists anymore. Yeah, no, I've seen the, the, the triple threat where players are like, hey, I've um, put my name into the draft while maintaining my eligibility. And I've also entered the transfer portal, but I am <laughs> open to the opportunity of coming back to my current team. Like <laughs> I, the, you, you do see the triple threat, um, you know, iPhone apps uh, posts. And um, yeah, I mean, I have had this discussion with several players. None of them are Gators, but there is just immense value in the player side. And I truly believe this in either being one of the first players in the portal or one of the last players in the portal. There is not a whole lot of value in coming in the middle because there is teams that continue to rush to fill spots much faster than I think they need to. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that I think is really interesting. And again, I'm just constantly surveying the market for players at the different levels of college basketball and seeing what the best kind of way to go about building a team is. But one thing I think is, is this is where this comes really into play when it comes to, do you try to hit singles or doubles at this start of the portal season and potentially clog up positions for players you might want more later. Like I would be genuinely very interested and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to say Walter Clayton is a single or a, a double. Uh, maybe I'm saying it's a double if I had to, uh, but it, you know, people know, I mean, we put out tons of content about what we think about Walter Clayton. I think he's really good. I don't think he's probably as good as a lot of the portal rankings have him. Right. Um, I do think that Tyler Perry is the more impactful player. That is a player I'd want more. How much did Walter Clayton already being on the roster? Um, like, did that hurt? Maybe, maybe not. But I do wonder what role that played versus Kansas State, who's like, hey, we just had ran everything through this elite small guard. We don't have another player at that position. Come in and be that exact guy. Like, I wonder what the what Florida was saying. I mean, we had some people talking about like, oh, like he would embrace the role off the bench. And I know he said as much in interviews. So I'm not saying people who quoted that are out of place, but I just kind of rolled my eyes. I, I don't know. Like you just, you, you just can't take everything you hear in interviews as face value. So I just, I, again, that's something I, I really wonder and uh, about how the Gators and how high major teams kind of generally how they attack the portal. Like I, I, I just, I, I, and again, if Florida thinks Walter Clayton's the better player than Tyler Perry, and you know, their Walter Clayton was as good of a player as they thought they could get, then hey, you go get that guy and you know you figure out everything else later. But I think a lot of people, including myself, think that Tyler Perry's the better player. And I'm not saying that obviously these players do not hit the portal at the exact same time. It wasn't like the Gators recruited them together, but like there is some some utility in in like if you don't think a guy is like a a, a home run, I, I just wonder how much you 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 take that guy right away or how much you uh you wait for guys that you think are truly home runs is Ty would Tyler Perry have been a home run? Uh, I'm not quite ready to say that that's for sure, but I would have been higher on him than um, would have been higher on him than, than Walter Clayton. We will see how both players end up performing at the high major level. Of course, one of them is in orange and blue, so it's not always going to be totally fair to, to compare the two, but uh, yeah. What, what, how much do you think that Walter Clayton being already on the roster already kind of the projected starting point guard, how much do you think that affected uh, maybe Tyler Perry's decision? No, I think it. I think it impacted it quite a bit. Um, and then I think the the effect of of Clayton plus the fact that Kugel is ball dominant probably is why you know Andrew Taylor kind of went from 
interested in visiting Florida before he made his decision to committing to Miss State, which I mean, you know, and I think, and he's a guy that was later into the portal, like gets in around the time that Van Allen Lubin and, you know, before Ernest Duday, but, um, you know, later in the portal period uh, and becomes kind of a, Hey, he's a point guard that can score. This is pretty interesting. Shoots a pretty decent percentage. Something that Miss State really needed. I thought kind of a coup for them. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he was kind of looking at Florida, Miss State, and Ole Miss. I want to go to the SEC. There's two schools that really need guard play <laughs> very bad. And Florida, who has a ball-dominant, all-SEC caliber guard, and then Walter Clayton, who, whether he ends up really being the point guard or not, we've talked about that a lot. You know, I think that's that's got to scare some people off um, to some extent, you know, and I think a guy like Taylor who might not necessarily be able to beat out a kid like Clayton, especially because Clayton's local and part of the cell was, hey, come start for the Gators. You know, that's going to be what's interesting is, is I think Florida's pursuit of additional targets. The fact that Florida really needs another creative guard, which we can kind of transition maybe a little now, Eric, um, you know, who do they go and get that's and, and what is the mentality of that player? Because I think, you know, and this is the longer conversation we can have. We're going to get into some listener questions. I think what makes this show so interesting is Florida's in kind of the, at least to me, Eric, they're in kind of this weird spot because they need another creative player. Like right now you look at the roster, who can make a play off the dribble, who can create their own shot. It's kind of Riley Kugel, um, at least for me. You know, I know that there there are people who would push back on that um, out there that, that say, hey, you know, I don't know. Walter Clayton can figure out a way to get his pull up game going. You know, he's a guy that that maybe can make that happen. It, it's not necessarily maybe Denzel Aberdeen progresses to a guy that uses his size to get to the basket. Um, I just don't see it that way. So I kind of feel like Florida has to add somebody that has a creative element. Um, and, you know, maybe their first moving into that Eric with, with the visit of Jalen Murray from St. Peter's. Although I think this is somebody we probably should spend some time talking about. This is the perfect example of why every player I talk to from the mid-major level that is going into the portal that I've told them you should go the moment you possibly can when your season's done and the portal's open, or you should wait until the end because for people who don't know Jalen Murray, this is a player who came off the bench for the 308th ranked team in Ken Palm. And he is getting an official visit to Florida. So that's just on the surface level. Well, we can talk with a little bit more nuance, but on the surface, this is a player who did start like nine of the last 10 games for St. Peter's started a couple earlier, but he is, he is a player that for most of the season came off the bench for the 308th team in, in Ken Palm. Um, Which, so again, if this is, if this is like, day one of the portal this guy gets probably you know gets looks because he scored 12 points a game or whatever 13 points a game and or if you go really late this is a player that suddenly florida is looking at if this is the middle of the portal season this guy's not getting any high major looks so it, it shows the market and um some strategy from a player standpoint of of when you should uh get in the portal and jalen murray i commend you for your excellent manipulation of the market i'm curious to see where you end up but i think you played this perfectly um, 
I, I think this does symbolize something. And, and I'll be honest, I think the portal dried up a little bit quicker than, than I thought. Um, I, I did think that there would still be more players available at this. I, I mean, I remember I even talked to maybe even the last podcast, cause it was a lot so long ago that we podcasted that, you know, people were like, Oh, the portal's drawing up. And I was just like, Hey, as a fun activity, I'm going to refresh the portal literally at this, you know, in real time. And there was like two good players in the last hour that the portal. And, you know, I was like, Hey, right. there's, there's more guys coming. Um, yeah, I really do think the portal has been rather dry for players that the Gators should be interested in. So, you know, you can talk about it on as did, did Florida miss the boat on, on, on some guys, um, you know, maybe, but there is an element of like, well, is even if, if they did or they didn't, whatever the case is, you, you, you play the hand you're dealt. And right now the hand the, the Gators are dealt are at the point where they feel like they really need to um, legitimately look at the backup point guard from a 308th Ken Palm team. Um, so again, he's got multiple years of eligibility. Just finish a second. You, if you wanted to talk, you know, if you, if I wanted to spin this positively, I would say, I think he averaged like 15 points a game over his last 10 games where he was largely a starter. And you could also say, Hey, if a player was averaging 15 points a game on the season in the Mac, um, that would be a player that, you know, high major teams would be looking at, um, you know, at, at any point in the portal um, to which I would say, well, those are still the players that I say that high major teams should be avoiding. Um, but uh, from a stylistic standpoint, he's a lot of fun. And he actually really does profile like the kind of players that you don't see these as, as much in, in, in basketball, but if you can think like the, the two thousands, late two thousands, early 2010s in the NBA, where you had these microwave scores off the bench who would just come in and be spark plugs, your Jamal Murray's your Nick Young's your J.R. Smith. He's got a little bit of that to his game where he is very electric, can get to his pull up, kind of create some space, um, you know, solid three point shooter. His numbers aren't like elite, but when you look at the, the kind of attempts he took, um, they were difficult. And uh, again, this was a dreadful team, this St. Peter's team. They were, they, and they were particularly struggled offensively. So they needed someone to create. So, you know, as much as like many people on first look, it's like, oh, are you like, are you kidding me? The Gators are looking at this player. There's definitely some intrigue and Hey, at some point, like with the spots, the Gators have left and the spots they need to fill like, yeah, they're probably going to have to take a bit of an upside swing or get into like, you know, looking for some deep sleepers from an analytical standpoint that you think you that can do something special. And maybe they look at this guy and say, Hey, we just need something like there. We're, we're listening to Neil Blackman and we just want some kind of playmaking and shot making in any facet. We'll take this guy and, and hopefully he plays 10 or 12 minutes a game. And in five games a year, he gets extremely hot and, and maybe wins us two or three of those. Like may, maybe that's, what you're looking to do, but this is genuinely like fascinating. Like if you're just a fan of college basketball, um, this would be like a fascinating get for the Gators as, uh, as someone that's like, that's, that's like, Hey, can you get a guy from the 308th ranked Ken Palm team, slide him into a very specific role and see if you can have success. Like there, there's part of me that wants to see it for that reason, but overall, and I know I've been ranting and saying everything about his game and leaving nothing for you, Neil, but you know, he's a five eleven point guard who's small, he really, really struggles defensively. Um, so it's, uh, and again, I don't think that the, the, the burden should be on anyone who wants to say why this player would not fit at the SEC level. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. But I, I just said a whole, whole lot, Neil. What do you have to say on this, uh, this whole situation, wherever you want to take it? Well, no, I mean, I'm glad you said a lot. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's why this is a really, like, I, I mean, I use the word interesting and I, on Twitter and I think, People, 
either tried to read into that as like me casting shade or, or what, uh, but it is interesting. You know, it, it's, it, it's interesting because of what it says about the market and the value of entering the portal late. I wonder if like, as the years go by, better players are going to enter later and later. Um, or if, you know, they will be some Kowasi Reeves out there who, who are in the portal within an hour of their final game, you know, will that continue to happen? Well, just, um, just to interrupt you, can you imagine if Kowasi Reeves entered the portal like a week ago? Like imagine right. what looked, imagine what looks he would be getting versus what he, like, again, he ended up in a good place. He stayed high major, but like, imagine what would happen if he was on the market right now. Oh, totally. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's super interesting. Like Quez Glover, who is a guy that I think is a better version of Jalen Murray. There's my first take on Murray. Um, you know, if he enters later, you know, after he graduates from Samford, for example, and kind of eliminates these concerns about his eligibility, um, you know, what kind of looks does, does Quez get? Cause you get a guy like Quez who played in a better league than the Mac and, you know, finishes much better at the rim, uh, shoots about the same from long distance, but on higher volume is probably a better passer is slightly more ball dominant, but who cares because he's much more productive. Um, you know, that's, that's another good case in point. Look to me, this is interesting. I mean, the guy has 14 career starts. Um, you accurately mentioned that, uh, what, like six of them were late in the season last year. Um, St. Peter's kind of had a disappointing year and then made a strong run in their conference tournament to the semis. Um, Murray played well in the conference tournament. Um, he's not a guy who can finish at the rim. So if you want a creator, like, I guess maybe he can create a little bit, make his own shot, shoot off the bounce outside from what I've been able to, to gather. But, you know, when you hit 38% at the 10, that means when you drive, you're not really going to drive and score. And he was at that rate in the Mac, right? Like, so, uh, so I don't think that that's going to improve when he joins the most athletic physical power six league um, other than the big 12. Right. I can't imagine that, that uh, that gets better. Um, so, you know, a high risk for Florida, uh, I think, and high reward for Jalen Murray is kind of how I characterize it. Um, a huge opportunity for Jalen Murray. It obviously tells you what the, like if they took a guy like that to me, it would tell you two things. One, um, they missed on Perry in like maybe their initial backup plans, like a guy like Tyron Lawrence, they weren't able to make the kind of headway they needed. And they realized, Hey, we really got to add a guard to the roster that can score points. Um, but we feel comfortable with the minutes that Kugel is going to command, which really means we're looking at substitute minutes for one spot who can compete with Denzel Aberdeen. We'll get to him in listener questions um, trying to be, somewhat succinct but i guess when you look at the roster i think you nailed it eric it's like 10 to 15 minutes how productive can you be um which to kind of time is a flat circle my my thoughts gets back to like when you sat down with trey bonham at the end of the year like what was that conversation like because if it was like Hey, we think you can come and compete. 
Like, does Trey Bonham, did he go to UT Chattanooga to start? I'm sure he did. Would Trey Bonham say, you know, prefer starting at another mid-major to a 15 to 20-minute role at Florida where he's bigger and stronger than Jalen Murray and has seen this level of competition for a year? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because that's that's another, like, and that's why I said time is a flat circle because it's kind of like, okay, we've gotten rid of this guy, and now it's almost like we're trying again with a similar role. Um, Yeah, like, uh, I'm just going to address something you said a little bit earlier, and then I'll talk your question. Um, The first thing I would maybe just disagree with you on is, like, I don't know if it is a risk to bring Jalen Murray because it's like there's not really much else out there. Like, again, like it's one of those things that in five years, if you look back at a take of Jalen Murray, and that's why it's always, you know, if we want to talk what role does the media have like to tell these stories, this will be important in like five years because like someone could easily look at that take and say, like, say it goes really well. It'd be like, wow, that's incredible. Florida took this backup from St. Peter's and it worked well. Or if it goes poorly saying, oh, wow, like what a screw up. They took, uh, you know, the a backup player from St. St. Peter's and of course it didn't work. But like, of course, like the real story is like, well, this is what the market was at the time. And honestly, like, given the mark like in a vacuum if you would have told me in 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 march hey the gators are going to take the backup point guard from from st peter's i would have said that's crazy that's a huge risk what like yes that is a huge risk but when i look at it now i don't think it's a huge risk because it's not like they're passing on other more established players yeah. in the current market but i but of course you know that that's just my you know kind of response to that but um and and then when it comes to bonham um I don't think Bonham had any interest in coming back to Florida. I do think that Florida tried to keep him. Um, I think that they would value Trey Bonham returning more than they would, you know, Jalen Murray. They did try to keep him. By so, the way, my take yeah. is not informed by thinking okay. that they didn't. I just want to make that clear. Yes, and I and I know that Sarah in Tampa does did have a, a you know most questions go right to to Neil and it's kind of fun because then I get to see them for the first time on the, on the show when they come up. But this is one that 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 Sarah made sure to uh, ask me personally and said something I don't even remember the actual question, but I said it to Neil, so you might have to step in. But something along the lines of like, hey, why do you get rid of of uh, Trey Bonham to then pursue? a month or two later, Jalen Murray, I would just say they did not try to get rid of Trey Bonham. They would have loved Trey Bonham, but given how things went to Florida, the pathway to Trey Bonham feeling he's him having a role that was satisfactory. uh, Yeah. I just, and I don't, you know, I can see why he thought that. Um, And like you said, is this, is this situation there to go start at Chattanooga? Like, honestly, I think the move for, and again, we'll see how these one-time transfers doing it or guys who have already transferred what what's going to happen when they're a grad transfer but like again the move for trey bonham would be and again he he knows he's going to have to sit out this year at chattanooga he's not even going to he could probably try to pursue a you know lie about something and get a waiver but he's going to be content i'm he's planning on on red shirting then he's going to start at chattanooga and then he's going to try to transfer again probably like that would be the smart move for him would be to transfer or sit out a year go to Chattanooga. He's probably going to average 15 points or more because he's under the coach. They did a lot of success with at VMI and he's going to be a fourth year player. And then he's, and then if I'm him, I would say the season ends, go hit the beach for a month, go hit the portal at the beginning of May. And then probably an sec team is going to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars 
in NIL money because they struck out on their earlier. Like, like again, right. that's just like going going full circle to the the market for how how things work. Um, because again, like if you're Trey Bonham and you're looking at Jalen Murray getting getting a visit to Florida, like I, I don't know, I just would think that he like this is a situation where like again, if save and Trey Bonham from last year hit the portal about this time. Again, I know that deadlines pass, but you know, yeah, at this time, as as in you know, early May. Um, I, I, again, he would command something pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, so that's but that's that's the long that's the long answer. And I would, uh, yeah, personally, I would have much rather had Trey Bonham on the roster than than yeah. uh, Jalen Murray. But uh, yeah, the Gators have to play the the market that it's currently there. You can talk about what they missed on or didn't miss on, or what was just bad luck because they already had returning talent in Riley Kugel and already got some of the guys they wanted, but uh, yeah, you've got to play the market as it sits. And uh, right now it is, it is looking bleak. Yeah. So I have a take and Sarah's question was why run off bottom and end up with Murray. And I think it's just like reject the premise of the question. Yeah. It wasn't right. Florida didn't really run off bottom and I should have made that more clear. Um, It's just, to me, it's kind of like, you're back with a lesser version of bottom on this year's roster. And we can get into what that means in listener questions, right? Cause we're getting a lot of questions about evaluate this team. And I think that's where that discussion is really valuable. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, like totally. bottom bottom versus Murray. Right. Um, so take two, I I've offered like one take today. <laughs> Take two is that um, Florida really needs to Tyler Perry after Zion Pullen. Um, that's what Florida needs to do. Uh, they don't need to take Jalen Murray. They can, but the guy they need is Zion Pullen um, for two reasons. One, they need some length, and like he's not particularly long, but at 6'4", at least he's a bigger guard. Um, you know, and Florida's not going to have many wings. Uh, to speak of that's kind of an understatement <laughs> so uh you know collecting as many six four guards as they can put on the floor is probably a good idea um because i you know florida did get better in their front court um or at least did increase the type of players that can rebound in their front court um that weren't just colin castleton uh but i think florida needs to understand that their guard rebounding is going to be a bit of a challenge unless Riley Kugel decides to like dig down and get involved in that this season. Um, and then the second reason that they, so Poland is an all big West player. I think he's sensational. Uh, and I, I use that word very sparingly on the podcast. I, I don't like hyperbole a lot. Eric knows from five years of this with me that I'm even reluctant to use the great word. Great too often. Um, I think Zion Pullen is a sensational basketball player who's been playing kind of under his level for at least a, a year and a half. Uh, he shoots a very high percentage. He has had uh, two years where he shot 39% from three. He's a quality free throw shooter. He gets fouled. Um, he is a very good passer. Um, he's a guy that can have the ball, but can play off the ball. Um and the other thing is, I, while he's not really a traditional point guard, I cannot emphasize this enough. And maybe Eric disagrees with this take, but like, I think any conception of this Florida team with a traditional point guard is a little bit misinformed. 
Like, I just don't think this Florida team is going to have your traditional lead guard with Riley Kugel on the roster. Like, I just don't think that's going to be something that happens, which is why they can say Walter Clayton, who's really a two guard, you can start at the one for us. Um, and which is why we don't really know what Denzel Aberdeen's role is going to be. And remember, Aberdeen is the guy who calls himself a point guard. Most recruiting services did not. So, like, I don't think that's a problem, which makes Zion pulling even more important because I think he kind of fits in with that mold. Florida's guards are going to be very interchangeable. So why not get a guy who can handle the ball and who can pass a little bit, but also really is is a primary scorer that's creative and and whereas I would not characterize Walter Clayton as explosive, I would characterize Zion Pullen as explosive. Yeah, Pullen's uh, really fun. I, I really enjoy watching UC Riverside play. I think their coach, Mike McPio, is outstanding. He's one of those guys that uh, you're just seeing pop up more and more on those uh, – any list um, for, you know, coaches ready to make a leap or he comes up on different, like, West Coast um, – uh, job openings, whatever they come. I, I I think he is excellent. So I think he's played in a really good offense and is, is, is really smart. I'm not a big, like, again, I always like to point this out because I, I think it's always funny whenever it comes to every transfer, people are like, oh, and he played in this league and that's an underrated league. And it's, everyone thinks every league is underrated. I do not think the big West is, is, is very good at all, to be honest with you. Um, so Agreed. again, not, not to, uh, not to completely, um, not to say that, that, uh, uh, would make Zion Pullen someone I wouldn't want to go after, but like it just shows that like yeah, that was a, a, a men amongst boys in in that league, especially playing with um you know they were UC Riverside is one of the teams that had like legit seven footers, um, used them really well, um, had really good coaching, so it was just you know it was a great player in a great situation playing against players that weren't very good. Um, so that's just a little bit of the context, but um hey, you also again you play the hand you're dealt, and he was a great player playing with great coaching and some good teammates and a bad league, but his numbers are just gaudy when it comes to like, like his pick and roll efficiency is, is incredible. And UC Riverside is one of the best pick and roll teams in the country. Um, just in pure efficiency, not obviously factoring quality competition. Um, Poulin's uh, isolation numbers are fantastic. He was able to just get to the rim whenever he wanted. Um, his transition numbers are excellent. Um, he didn't catch and shoot very often because he had the ball lots when he did tap to catch and shoot numbers are excellent like it's just like he is uh he's one of those guys that like you know just truly dominated kind of every element of offensive basketball at, at that league so um but again because because of the league he came from and uh the team he came from it's someone who uh isn't quite the tyler perry level i think in terms of like again i don't think he's as good as tyler perry um perception is 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 similar to that uh but this would be a player i'd get uh, very excited about as someone who uh could certainly take some some ball handling duties um if needed as a starter um if the gators wanted to go you know someone like him then uh walter clayton then a riley kugel um as as the kind of three guys in the backcourt on the perimeter um but he could also yeah still be that kind of microwave guy off the bench if they want i would i would be very excited about this guy i think he's a lot of fun to watch and brings, brings a lot of um, electricity and uh, coming from a good program with a great coach. Those are just like, you know, you add into at least like, like Walter Clayton also came from an excellent coach. You, you love to see that. Um, yeah. To bring in guys like that, that, that came from really good programs. Um, that's uh, yeah. Those are, those are guys I'd like for sure. Yeah. And when we talk about creativity and I think that's what Perry really brought that compliments Kugel and they missed and why I think Pullen is now so important because even if he's not the player that Tyler Perry is and 
I just think it's kind of hard to say whether he is or not. We we know for a fact that that Perry is can be a dominant player in what I would say was a good league, <laughs> Conference USA. Certainly, the top five of that league is uh, was very good, right? And there should have been maybe more than one bid based on uh, the way things went in the postseason, but also based on the way that like you look at their records in the regular season out of conference and they just didn't quite get the respect they deserve, but that's maybe another podcast. Um, as far as playing for Mike McPayo and, and just being in a good system, but, but obviously an explosive and creative player in that system, drawing five fouls per 40 minutes. That's just 0.5 shy of what Colin Castleton was at, uh, at Florida. Now, obviously Castleton's doing that in the sec, uh, against a horde of double teams, but still like that would be 1.4 higher than Riley Kugel um, per 40 and Florida's second best fouls drawn per 40 guy was Trey Bonham at 4.7. He's gone. So now Florida's looking at guys like Will Richard who can't draw fouls um, for all his strengths, uh, 2.1, um, you know, guys like that, that, to compliment Kugel. They don't have another guy that draws three per 40 on the roster right now. Um, so that's where the creative problem is because Walter Clayton is two eight. So, you know, there is a significant problem in guys who can create and stress defenses and force fouls, get to the free throw line. I mean, you've got California connections. If you're Todd golden, I know Florida's already been in touch with them. Looks like right now it's too early to call it a head to head. Uh, but you know, it might be like right now, West Virginia, Florida, kind of the early noisemakers. There's chatter that UCLA might get involved, which could be a real problem for West Virginia and Florida. <laughs> but uh, we will see, folks. I think this is this has become really important. Like, and I say really important, not like the most important thing of the offseason. Florida already won that battle, and I think maybe pausing before we get to listener questions to reiterate that is important. Like Riley Kugel is coming back. That was the most important thing to the off season. That hasn't changed. Um, but now they've got to get him more help. I'm going to put you on the spot and uh, put you in potentially an awkward situation. If the Gators got Zion Pullen, would, who would you be more excited about him or Walter Clayton as a Gator? Pullen. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think that that, uh, you know, we saw a lot of uh, fanfare, not just necessarily from you, but just kind of generally speaking, um, Clayton was considered to be one of the best players in the portal, all that. Um, and uh, yeah, if uh, I think that tells you something about Zion Pullen, um, if uh, you can assertively say that you'd be more excited for him. Um, I need to watch a, a little bit more, but I, if I had to say, you know, right now, I'd say, yeah, absolutely. Zion Pullen would be, it would be, would be mine. So we see, I, I, I really am hesitant to say that before I watch I I you know of course like to watch a lot of film before I make such takes on the yeah. podcast but uh so putting myself out a little bit but hopefully we get to talk about him a little bit more because yeah clearly we'd be pretty excited if we got him yeah he's good um let's get into these questions this will be fun uh we got Brian Edwards from Brian Edwards Sports I thought this was a fascinating one to kick off with um, and usually I'm like, Eric, answer these questions. So it's cool when I can answer a question first because it's NIL. Good. Um, so Brian asks, where do you think you'd rank Florida in terms of basketball only and NIL opportunities? 
And then one B, uh, have you and Eric been surprised about how many Vanderbilt guys have bolted on Stackhouse after they played so sensational the last six weeks of the season? What could be causing that? That can't be a Stackhouse thing. Uh, and so I think these answers are really interrelated. Um, I would rank Florida third in NIL basketball-only opportunities behind um, Kentucky and Arkansas. Um, and I did. I would note that uh, Evan Maya and – 24-7. Florida actually fell out of the top 10 and to third in the SEC in the transfer portal rankings in 24-7. They remained second in Evan Maya's portal class rankings in the SEC behind Arkansas. Arkansas's first in both. Um, and I think Arkansas uses both Muss's, you know, offer everyone in the history of the world uh, strategy, um, plus their NIL opportunities extraordinarily well in the transfer portal. Kentucky we could have a podcast about how they've failed um, this off season, but I would really say that like, if you listen to Oscar Sheboy interviews right now, he sounds like a guy who doesn't really want to play college basketball anymore. And it seems like Kentucky's strategy was Oscar Sheboy is coming back. Uh, and so maybe Eric and I can do it when we do an sec show, we can discuss uh, why that seems to have failed spectacularly. And maybe John Calipari, not really understanding the world of the portal uh, being the latest problem with Cal there. Vanderbilt's NIL opportunities are the worst. And I think that's why players are bolting on Stackhouse. I really think it's that simple because otherwise, like, for example, like John Shire has lost no one at Duke, right? Um, and it's not a we're on a mission from God, lost no one situation like FAU, um, where like those guys seem like we love Dusty May. We don't care about NAL opportunities. We live in Boca. We go to the beach. We're going to be gods on campus. Um, you know, we're going to sell out our 3000 person building every night from November to March. Like a lot of kids would find that fun. So I get the idea of coming back to that. John Shire, those guys have NIL opportunities. They have draft stock chances. Like it's not anything he's doing. And I think when Jerry Stackhouse gets to North Carolina, <laughs> um, I say that only kind of tongue in cheek. This won't be a problem for Stack in Chapel Hill, right? Like I doubt his players are going to run for the hills every year. But that's my answer to that question, Brian. I don't know if Eric has anything to add, but I would rank four to third, and I'm pretty confident in that take because I have had a lot of conversations about Florida's basketball nil position. Yeah, I, I just think like fans need to readjust their perceptions of, of so many things in the NIL world. Like, again, it's like, I, I, you see this with, with Vanderbilt and then it's like, Oh, what's wrong with the culture at Vanderbilt. And then, you know, coercely, I won't say any program names, but you're seeing some in the high major levels and the sec where there are some teams that have struggled over the last five years, have new coaching and suddenly they're landing players. And it's like, wow, this coach is really turning around this program. Like, wow, he's selling people on the vision. And like, you know, I, you hear from players, it's like, no, I went to the highest bidder. Like, so again, it's just like, really, sometimes it is that simple. Like, and it's kind of funny to see kind of around the country where some people are like, wow, what's wrong with this coach? Is he losing his fastball? Or is there a problem with the culture? And it's like, He's getting outbid. And there's some programs that ha where coaches have really struggled for the last couple of years. They've got new coaches in and 
these coaches, you know, I have my questions about them and they're getting players. And then people are like, wow, what an outstanding job. Um, they're really like to be able to sell kids on the vision <laughs> and their development plan. And it's like, they went to the highest bidder. Like, and that's something that, you know, I find really funny for a lot of coaches at the high major level. Um, this goes back to last year that I thought it was really funny. Some coaches that are like, they lose a kid, they lose a recruiting battle and they're like, oh, we lost him because of NIL. And then they win another recruiting battle and they're like, oh, it was, it was a pure basketball decision. They just really bought into our vision. And it's like, <laughs> you, you, you can't have both of these things. And is, is every recruiting battle now down to exclusively NIL? No, but it probably is a lot more simple than a lot of people think. In, in, a, in a lot of these recruiting battles. So, yeah, I don't think that there's – like, if this was three or four years ago, then, yeah, we could probably talk about the way that Jerry Stackhouse has called out his players by name in press conferences and said, hey, you know, maybe that's going to rub some people the, the wrong way. But <laughs> right. and some players – but so and, – and who knows? Maybe that is an element of it. But, like, I, I just really think, hey, we knew that Vanderbilt was behind the eight ball in the SEC for decades – um, you add an NIL and it's just, it's just that much harder. I don't think there's anything, uh, anything too big from the culture standpoint or anything like that. And I think Stackhouse would be, um, would do fairly well in an NBA job. And I think he would do very, very well if he was at a place like, uh, like North Carolina. Um, he is a very good X's and O's coach. Um, I, I hear from players that he is very, very good in, in, in recruiting, um, very good in conversations. Um, but uh, yeah, Vanderbilt's tough, man. I, I really feel for, you know, people in their, their athletic department that are trying yeah, to make this sure. work. I feel for their fans who are really trying to make this work. It is, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough, uh, tough struggle for them unless they, uh, you know, get some, some, you know, tech billionaire that, that, that graduated from there <laughs> uh, to, to decide they want uh, a top level program. Yeah. All good points. Uh, Michael Zurich, uh, who is an awesome longtime listener expectations for Denzel Aberdeen in year two consensus top 150 prospect. Will he get important minutes off the bench this year, Eric? Um, I don't really have many expectations to be honest. That's not to say that it's like, I, I don't think he's going to play, but I'm just, I don't know. Like there's been already, there was like right as soon as the season ended, there was a lot of smoke about like, Oh, he's going to play a big role. And like, Oh, he's looking great. And it's like, well, if that was, like a week prior to that, he couldn't really get minutes outside of garbage timer when the season was done for the Gators. And then like a couple weeks later, it was like, Oh, this is a guy that's going to be able to play a big role. There's a disconnect there. So, um, you know, I, I, I hear he's a, a, a great kid and a great worker and I liked his game a lot in high school. Um, but yeah, he did struggle to get on the floor for a team that wasn't super talented. It, it appears and could have used some of what, uh, some of what Denzel Aberdeen had in, in the high school. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I will. I will hear the stories of um, how much various parts of his game are are improved. But I, I don't know. I'm just kind of. I don't really have any any major expectations, or, or I really have any any judgments on him as a player yet. I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing what it looks like next year. I, I don't really know how. Like again, he like I said, he didn't really play at the end of last or for, <laughs> he didn't really play until the end of last season in, in games that really didn't matter. So there's really just nothing for me to have an opinion on, I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, there's not really anywhere to go, but up. I mean, 2.9% of Florida's minutes last year, the lowest on the team other than the, the walk-ons. Uh, so, you know, he's big, he's six, five. So I think that helps uh, because like I said, Florida doesn't have a lot of size until you get to the front court pieces. 
Um, they have a lot of really tall guys and they have some, you know, but they don't have much in between, right? The wing. So it'll be interesting to see like how they use him. Um, he says he's a point guard, but you know, he came into the Kentucky game when he played really his only meaningful minutes at home, um, hit a big three pointer. And I think like maybe that created some expectation that he like had made some improvements at the end of the year. But I honestly think that the staff at that point was just kind of throwing things out there to, as Todd Golden said, reinvent themselves after the Castleton injury. I don't think that had anything to do necessarily with his progress in practice. Maybe it did, who knows, but not many expectations there. It'll be interesting. Uh, I do think if if Jalen Murray comes in, that's a guy, you know, I'd like to see Denzel Aberdeen beat him out for minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe that's my expectation. Uh, So it's, you know, a top 150 prospect from a big time basketball program like Denzel Aberdeen with his size and his physicality, he should be able to get minutes ahead of a St. Peter's transfer who from a team that was what 308 in Kimpong. There's a, there's take three, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so the next one is um, Perry wants to know from an X's and O's standpoint, what changes do you think the staff needs to make next season? Like, I just think that they, they're going to have to do different things offensively. Neither of the guys that they, added to the front court, the big front court pieces are really back to the basket scorers uh, really prolifically. Samuel is better than Hanlocked in edit, but they're certainly not going to run their offense through the post. So that will force a schematic change. I think it'll be interesting to see like how Florida plays in the pick and roll next year um, because Kugel's so dominant with the ball, but Clayton is kind of effective in that position and then maybe like do they get will richard involved in the pick and roll a little bit um those are some things that i've sort of been thinking about recently uh eric uh yeah from an x's and o standpoint like when i like i obviously i was vocal about not thinking the offense was very good the numbers would back that up so i don't even know if it needs to be my opinion but <laughs> but i guess the, my my opinion was what you know i guess was that i i didn't think what they were running um fit the talent um i didn't love the continuity ball screen um i will say if the gators like with the, the front court pieces they they have um if they're able to add another pick and roll ball handling guard and you can kind of get riley kugel and hopefully another pick and roll ball handling guard. And then your third guy being Walter Clayton, who's okay in ball screens. And then you've of course got a couple of couple big bodies to, to roll hard to the hoop and maybe pick and pop to be determined. Um, you can do that. But I think the biggest thing I just want to see with whatever offense the Gators run is I need to see them execute it better. Like that, that's the one thing. Like I obviously was spent a lot of the season just yes. whining about that. I didn't think the offense was good, but even with what they were running, they did not execute it well when they played point series stuff their split cuts were 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 not effective the timing was bad the angles were poor um when they played continuity ball screen i didn't like that they were really slow getting into it and they weren't able to get quick ball reversals that allowed them to get multiple side ball screens on the same possession making defenses have to work so i just i just want to see them execute like again i i could pro- i could go into like what would i like to see the team run and which I did yeah. much of this season, but I think like what my answer really is upon further thought, I, I guess I'm not even as concerned now about what the Gators run, but they, they need to run it well because that was, you know, adding to the frustration of that. I didn't think their offensive structure was good. They didn't execute well what they did run. So um, 
from an X's and O's standpoint, I need to see them execute. I need to see them get to um, better, better split cuts, um, better pace through those actions. Um, if they're doing that better pace, um, better entry into continuity ball screen. Um, yeah, that's uh, but I, I, I've got to say like this is one of the situations where um, I don't know what the situation will be with a uh, um, exhibition or, or what's going to happen there this, this year, what the Gators are, are, are going to do. But whenever we get our first look at the Gators, um, as is the case, really every year we've had the podcast or every year I've been covering the team. Um, I've always just, been so fascinated to see the first time the Gators get the ball at the beginning of the season. What kind of offense are they going to run? Uh, uh, that's going to be heightened this year with all the new pieces, and of course, coming off a season where the offense wasn't very good. Yeah, and I think it's it's right now executing better is maybe priority A because there really aren't additional creators that have been added to the roster. So, you know, that what do you do when things break down has not improved, um, and I think that's kind of important to emphasize when you think about what Florida can do from an Exodus and O standpoint, part of it is going to have to be execute what you're given to do at a higher level. Um, Eric Van Meter uh, at Gator Navy asks, what's the plan to complete the roster uh, with the remaining scholarships, Jalen Murray, international players. I don't think Florida will take another international player um, at this point in time uh, from what I've, you know, gathered from sources. Uh, I think that, that Florida will take people in the portal. Um, there's a chance that they'll leave a scholarship open and just take two more players. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily, you know, I, I, I can't anticipate a project either at this point. I think they're looking for plug and play guys. Um, whether it's a Jalen Murray to give them 10, 15 minutes or a Zion Pullen to play 20 to 25 uh, we will have to wait and see, but I don't think Florida's looking to add anyone else on the, on the roster. That's kind of like, Hey, I wonder what he can do. They're going to have guys like that. Uh, Thomas Hoff um, is Thomas Hawk is one. Denzel Aberdeen is another. Alex Condon is another. Alex Shimchek is another. There's enough projects right now that this is about finding and figuring out what your rotation is. That's yeah, funny. Um, uh, I, it's interesting. Like I wasn't sourced, so I was going to say, Hey, maybe they take an international player. Um, one of the guys at the prep that I coach at is going to go play for great Britain at the, uh, the U twenties, uh, the Euro U twenties. And I was looking at their roster and most of those players like are older post-grad guys that played at uh, really good programs. Like it's like, Oh, here's a kid. That's like a six foot seven wing from Arizona compass prep who played really good. And like, he's, you know, 19 years old as an old post-grad player. And, you know, so there's there there was part of me that was like, huh, like there are you know set to be next month all these big international events where some guys pop. Darius Nichols got a player from Japan that I thought was outstanding. Um, he didn't have a play. He, he was okay as a freshman for for Radford, but I but he really really popped playing for Japan at the U20s last year, or maybe those the U19s. I forget, but um, whatever it was, there's there's some big time events coming up um with some really good international players that of course again i'm just was like surprised to see are not committed to playing anywhere some of that being because they want to uh you know they're going pro but yeah so i would have thought that maybe they're opening to that so i'm interested to see that that would have been my answer if i spoke first so i'm glad that you spoke first and said uh no they're not looking for an international player but um yeah i mean i i i wonder and i know i've talked about on this podcast how much heat the the i shouldn't well i shouldn't say heat 
I know that the Gators coaching staff is going to feel pressure to win because I think that they like to compete and like to win and have a sour taste in their mouth from last year. So I think that they are very hungry to win. I do wonder if there's going to be how much heat would be on them if it doesn't go very well. But um, I, I think that there's probably yeah. going to be a push to compete right away. And uh, yeah, taking flyers um, is probably not going to help the team in the 2023, 2024 season. So yeah, I, I, I would think that the, the Gators preference would be to just, you know, fill a portal, not get too cute with things, not take a, you know, un, unranked high school player. Um, yeah. I think they, they're, they're looking for guys that they could plug in. Um, you know, maybe play some minutes at the wing with some some upside. You know, they're obviously looking for a ball handler. Um, yeah, I think they want guys that they can they can plug in here to play some minutes. Good time to remind you, Florida basketball is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards. While athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles to find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and locker mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io and Gatorverse sent us a listener slash sponsor question that we better answer. Um, <laughs> and that question is how are we feeling about Florida's TBT team as it stands this summer? Oh man, I I still remember like people know like again this this long they they know that this, what I'm about to say is legitimate because I talked about the TBT like four yeah. years ago when yeah. I again it already wasn't super mainstream and like four or five years ago I was like when are the Gators going to get an alumni team in this event I love every single part of of the TBT I've always wanted there to be a Gators alumni team um, so I'm really happy to see it um, I saw the other day Flanders Fleming got uh, joined the roster. Um, or the pr perspective roster, I thought that was a huge get. I think those are the style of players that do very, very well in this event. So I thought that was a really good get. Um, it's a shame. There's, I, I really thought the Canyon Barry would be some someone that uh, that that would kind of play in this, but he's doing three on three with. He's got. He's actually on this like crazy three on three team for um, for Team USA. Jimmer Fredette's on the team. Uh, with yeah, Canyon Barry. So that's got to be a lot of fun. But that was a guy I would have loved. But I, I I like a lot of the pieces that the Gators have put together. Um, and I think when you look at the teams that have success and uh, at the TBT um, or TBT, I suppose um, the TBT would be redundant. Um, uh, the, the it's it's really experienced overseas guys that are you know clearly very talented, and then it is teams that have you know really good structure and organization. And I think that the way that this team has been built um, with the Gatorverse, that's not like hey, let's get a bunch of guys, throw them together, and you know put in a team like that used to be TBT years ago was just like a couple of guys being like hey, let's get out there and hoop. Um, it's a lot more you know the teams that are have a lot more structure. Um, behind it are, are doing a lot better. So I, I'm glad that this is kind of the way that the Gators have entered the this this space is is through something like Gatorverse um, because it's a lot more, you know, cohesive than some like, you know, grassroots, a couple of guys, you know, throwing their names together. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm just super excited for it. I absolutely love the TV. I, I love TBT. I would have been watching it a, a, a ton, uh, no matter, you know, if, if there was a Gators team or not, I'm happy that there is one to now uh, cheer on. Yeah, I kind of wish they had like European superstar Scotty Wilbekin. Yeah, um, it's kind of one of the guys that like I feel like, oh, like if they could have somehow commit convinced Scotty Buckets to play, um, they 
they would have had a really good chance at making a pretty sick. I'm not saying they don't have a chance at a deep run. Like I, I'm with you. I loved Flynn Fleming, who has been spectacular. Uh, but I think as a pro, um, but I think, you know, a guy like Wilbekin, who's won the European Cup, who's been like, I don't know, MVP of multiple leagues. <laughs> like, you know, anytime you can add a guy like that, then that's different. But it's hard to get that high level of player into the, the TBT tournament because Scotty's still making a lot of money and he doesn't want to risk an injury. Oh, yeah. You know, anything like that. Um, but yeah, I really, I like the roster. I can't wait to watch. You, you guys, if you're a long time listener, you know that Eric and I have spent many a May and June podcasts going, gosh, I wish the Gators had a TBT team. So I'm excited that that's a thing. I know Chandler Parsons tweeted about it recently. He's jacked. Uh, you know, he's like, I can't wait to watch this. This is long overdue. So and I think it'll get some energy among the alumni uh, too, which always seems to be like a thing on Twitter with some of the other teams that have them like Syracuse uh, Villanova had one. They were all kind of like, you know, it was cool to see like Jalen Brunson being like, this is awesome. You know, like tweeting about TBT action. So um, that is pretty fun. And, and I'm looking forward to it. Alex Carter asked an interesting question about um, Florida and he said, what's Florida's ceiling if they add another quality guard? Do we have a future? And then he asked, do we have a future Eric Murphy and Condon or Hawk? I will stick with the second question about a future Eric Murphy. Um, I don't know enough, really. I haven't, like, seen Alex Condon play enough live. Has anybody to, like, <laughs> know if they have, like, an Eric Murphy-type player? Um, I do, as I said on a recent podcast, have a lot of respect for that academy that he's from. Um, they have produced some really good players, uh, and I think he'll be a little more prepared than people think um, at Florida. Uh, as far as Hawk goes, I mean, I think the biggest thing with Hawk is, like, he's grown a lot, right, like physically and height-wise in the last year, and there's maybe an argument that he should have shot up recruiting rankings a little more. Um, but – you know, I'm excited about him because he certainly does appear to be a guy who can stretch the floor and also a guy who's a little bit ahead uh, on the offensive side. Now, I think as far ahead as he is offensively, he might be as behind defensively, but um, so was Eric Murphy for, you know, kind of a point of reference. Um, but I wouldn't say it's similar to Eric Murphy just because Eric was a top 50 player and, you know, Hawk is is not a consensus top 50 player. So it's a little different. Um, but certainly in terms of like Florida actually developing a stretch four again, you know, yeah, I think that's it's clear that Todd Golden is trying to find someone that fits that mold. Uh yeah, I don't actually okay. So when when the Gators got caught in, uh it was very difficult to find film. Um, it's actually been a lot easier over the last couple of months because the NBA Academy has played in the NBL one. So the Australian oh. league is the, is the NBL, the national basketball league. Um, and they've got like a developmental, like they're like, it's like kind of like summer league, I guess would be the equivalent. It's called the NBL one. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Cause yeah, they, they're like some teams like combine their, it's like an under 23 league essentially. So his NBA Academy team has put in. So I think that Condon has played like eight games um, that have actually been like, easy to watch. So, um, he's, he can't shoot the ball at all. Um, it's, he's just really, he struggles with touch the mechanic. And it's, it's almost concerning because right the mechanics aren't, don't look awful, but yeah. he really struggles to 
like his touch is just really poor. Um, there's a lot to like, like, again, he, he's already looking bigger. Um, he just, it's, it's amazing to watch him run in transition. He is just like, like he runs angry. Like he runs like a five foot 11, 210 pound running back angry. Um, but he's also like runs like a gazelle. So I, I, I just love. Someone tell coach Nate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Get, uh, get the six foot 10 guy coming out of the, coming out of the backfield. We'll get him on the wheel route. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I just I, – I, I love his energy level. Um, he's bringing it defensively. He's blocking shots. He's offensive rebounding. You still have to – you know, I know that there's there's been some buzz about him being a contributor next year. I still have to squint to see it. But there is some encouraging stuff to watch from him for sure. Um, but in terms of the Eric Murphy comparison, um, it, just, it just would fall very flat there because he doesn't shoot right. it. Right. And then with Thomas Hawk, I just think Hawk is also like, cause what didn't, I think Eric Murphy shot like 45% from three his last season. And like on a lot of attempts, like really, truly an unbelievable shooting season. Yeah, and then with, with, and then with Hawk, I just think he's someone who handles the ball a little bit more and is a little bit more of a, I don't know, slasher, I guess. Um, I don't think he's as much like the stationary shooter as Eric. Yeah. So, you know, so I don't, I don't, I just, again, I, and, and I know I've talked about this many times on the podcast. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when I think of Eric Murphy, because again, this was like, I was not as, you know, maybe intelligent to basketball fan um, back then as I was uh, now as someone who's, you know, does a lot more. But um, I do still do think of him as someone who's a little bit more of a stationary standstill catch and shoot player. Yeah. And and again, that style of like stationary stand um, catch and shoot guy, um, like stretch four, that, that player just doesn't um, – exist as much anymore. And I think the Tom's Hawk has a lot more upside as someone who can handle the ball. So um, again, I don't know if we like how semantic we want to get about the like next Eric Murphy thing, but I just don't see that player archetype as a good archetype. Um, like I just don't see Thomas Hawk or Alex Conn in, in, in that mold of like big stretch pick and pop or just space out catch a two guy. I, I think Hawk's going to be a guy who can handle a little bit more and attack a closeout. And Conan is just, you know, not a shooter at, at this point. So yeah, not, not, not Eric Murphy, but um, I'm more excited about Eric, Alex Condon than I was a month ago after getting to watch him um, a little bit more. Yeah. I don't think Hawk is Brady manic, for example, but I think that there's things, but I think he's and that would be kind of your stationary spot up guy. Like Brady wasn't really attacking closeouts and beating people to the 10 much uh, his last couple of years at Oklahoma or his final year at North Carolina. But you know, like I said, if you watch Thomas, Hawk, like one thing that impresses is the same thing that impressed me about PJ Hall, right? It's like his footwork appears ahead of ahead of the curve for most freshmen. Um, Eric mentioned his slashing ability. Some of that is footwork because like what he might lack a little in athleticism. And I still think he's a decent athlete, um, but he makes up for it because his burst is good because his feet are in the right place. Um and I think he handles the ball okay. And I do think Todd is looking for a guy, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, who can knock down threes consistently. And, you know, that's, you know, they have a guy in Alex Shimchek who's going to be a little more scary anyway. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, Hawk, it'll be interesting. Thomas Hawk is a guy that if he can pick it up defensively, could contribute. Because I do think his offense is, is ahead of most freshmen. Like, it's certainly ahead of where Denzel Aberdeen was. Um by, by some distance, I would say. Um, I just decided in this moment, Neil, that I realized that I should probably do a Patreon video um, watching some Alex Condon stuff. So uh, Patreon uh, subscribers can look for that at 
some point in the next few weeks, I suppose. I love um, it. I yeah, think that there's, I think, I think there's a Kyrie Samuel video still to be uh, released. Dropping this week. Trickle. Yeah. Okay. So you got to had to trickle that out. I know that everyone yep. wanted them like right when they came out. It's just like, hey, we got a long off season, people. But um, I'm sure people would love to see some some Alex Condon. So at some point, we'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll do I'll do some of that and uh, put it up for our Patreon subscribers. So uh, if you want to see uh, some Alex Condon highlights, um, you want to see um, what are really better the the you know these 30 ish minute breakdowns on 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 Florida's incoming transfers. That's uh, that is behind the Patreon uh, paywall for the, for those of you who uh, support us. All right, so even though we're running long, we're going to do a couple more. Um, we're not going to do any recruiting, um, which is because how many times have Eric and I just said, yeah, we're not doing <laughs> recruiting. Um, so we're just going to stay on brand and push the recruiting questions to like the next spot, um, which hopefully won't take us as long to get out. But but we'll save the re- – I've got the questions. We'll, we'll answer. Um, so – but these are fun, and I thought we should – do them real quick though. So we can get to Ryan Diggs question. Who's the most likely to have the biggest contribution this year out of the guys on campus for summer a that's Hawk Condon and Aberdeen. I would say Thomas Hawk, um, Eric. Uh, there's, I, if, if there was like a betting line established, I think that, uh, the most likely would be Hawk then Aberdeen then Condon, but I think that there would be a lot of value on if you wanted to place a uh, futures bet right now on uh, Aberdeen, just because right. we don't know the backcourt situation um, as much, whereas the front court's kind of a little bit more established. And uh, I think you could, like, I'm not predicting it, but I could see a world where, where Thomas Hogg is getting minutes as the backup three and backup four, maybe. And that would equal a lot of minutes and would mean he's playing pretty well. So you, I, I think that that's probably the, uh, that would be my, my, my pick, but uh, yeah, we just talked about the backcourt for a long time and there's question marks there. So there would be some value in, um, there would be some value in, in, in that. And, and I just think that Conan's lack of polish and lack of ability to shoot makes him a little bit more difficult to pencil in, particularly factoring in that. I, I think Samuel is, is, is really good. Um, I think that Hamlocked and someone the Gators are pretty invested in. So those are two guys that I think are going to eat up a lot of center minutes. And EJ Jarvis is someone who could play center quite comfortably. Yeah, so, good player. And and I don't know if Alex Condon at the four is is necessarily the the, the move. But hey, so I, I that that's just a little murkier one for a year one. And again, it's just this is year one for some freshmen. It's not like the the long standing take on on these guys career trajectories but yeah those would be uh i i, I will still go uh hawk like you like yourself there it is uh so last two um we'll go dark and then fun i chose the order um nahum is florida a tournament team uh yes i also thought they were a tournament team last year um talent wise i know people will disagree with me but I thought they were a tournament team talent wise last year. And I think their talent uh, might be a little bit, uh, it could be a little bit better um, right now, even with uh, of course, losing Colin Castleton, who was, who was very, very good. So uh, yeah, I think this is a tournament team for sure. No. Oh, uh, I just think they got to get another guy that can, can create um, right now. I don't think that they have really much, of a front court scoring presence. I think they've done really well in the portal in the front court, but I think 
Micah Hanlock in right now is kind of a rim runner um, without much of an offensive game. Uh, Tyrese Samuel, I think, is a really good player um, who's going to get some buckets at the 10, whether it's traditional post buckets or some cleanup buckets. I think he's a guy that's that's going to add you some value offensively. Like, they could be a tournament team if Riley Kugel's an All-American. That's my take. Like, as comprised, like, if Riley Kugel's an All-American, they're a tournament team. Otherwise, as currently comprised, this is not a tournament roster. This is a NIT roster. Oh, that is, yeah. I actually, I realized I, I was, I, I had some shock value there, but then I realized you said that you were starting dark. So I should have actually, smarter listeners than, than I will point out that you, I, I guess, actually foreshadowed that a little bit, that you're <laughs> about to say no. Um, I So my question to you would be like, um, let's say they don't get a Zion Pullen because I know that you think he's better than Walter Clayton. So that would really change things. Um, it's more looking like the Gators are getting someone in the, Jalen Murray mold. Am I? Is it safe to say that if the Gators get, you know, a backup-ish wing player and a backup-ish point guard in Jalen Murray, that you would be unmoved from your stance that this is not a tournament team? Yeah, I still think it's an NIT team unless Riley Kugel's an All-American. Now, mm. you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure the natural pushback would be like Florida will be able to space the floor a little better this season without, we already saw them do that somewhat at times without Colin Castleton. And maybe if they can space it better because they have Walter Clayton and um, Will Richard, who I shouldn't forget because he's a marvelous shooter, you know, maybe the offense is better. Um, But, you know, you're losing, you know, a sensational leader uh, and glue guy underneath in Castleton you're replacing him with, I think, good pieces. But I think right now they're very invested in Micah Hanlockton. They need him to really produce to be a tournament team. I don't know if I trust that yet. Maybe I'm wrong. Hope I hope I am. Um, I think he's going to be a sensational player at Florida. I just don't know if that happens next season. And then, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I think Will Richards' game is at present is kind of create mismatches while playing smaller or hit shots. Um, I don't think there's a ton else to it. Uh, So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if like offensively that combination makes them an NCAA tournament team. I'm just kind of reading into like, is this roster much better than it was last year when it was a 16 and 17 roster? And I'm just not sure that it is at this point, I guess, if I was to reduce my take to like a couple sentences. Well, no, I think that's – and then, of course, I could have asked you this question. Like, the skaters team last year was not really close to the NCAA tournament. Um, so there was room for them to be better and still not be a tournament team. You right. know, like – you know, so there's – there's there. it's not like this is was a fine line. Um, I, I, I just think the, the one response to your question – or your statement, um, like, the Gators are very – have, like – put a lot like put eggs in the basket of Micah Hanlock in, but they also haven't in my opinion, because okay. I, I also feel like, like, let's say Hanlock in is not very good. Um, you know, if, if it's Tyree Samuel at the five and EJ Jarvis, who I don't love, but I think is okay. Um, at the four. And if, you know, Will Richard is, is, you know, a little bit better because he's another year older and Riley Kugel's good. And, uh, Walter Clayton's an excellent catch and shoot player. Like I, 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 it still could be like if, if, if Tyree Samuel is playing 28 really good minutes at the five a game, which I think yeah. is totally possible. There's a chance that Micah Hanlockton is 
doesn't have to be a huge part of the okay uh, the, the equation and, and the Gators still be good. Um, but again, I know a lot of people are really high on that and think that those guys are playing together, but I could see a universe where your skepticism slash my skepticism of Micah Hanlockton is correct. And still the Gators are really no, not that much worse for wear because yeah. they've got a proven five already. And, you know, maybe Edge Jarvis is, is a little bit better than I think, but even if he's what I think he is, that's still like a decent option at the four, just not a great one. No, that's a great answer. And look, I think Florida's a bubble team either way. I think it's just a matter of like, I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble. It sounds like you think that they're kind of on that better side of it, uh, you know, with the potential to be a team that at least securely gets a buy, which is where most bracketologies happen. So maybe I'm a little more cynical than most, which is unusual for this podcast, but uh, it's kind of where we are right now. Um, last question, which I thought this was a really fun way to finish. Um, and I love when we get stuff like this because it kind of captures the essence of what I wanted this podcast to be about when when Eric and I got started. Uh, but Augie Tubitz, Ryan asks, best glue guys in Florida basketball history. Um, oh. So I think we could both just like get out of the way the best one, which would be like the guy who won like the Sports Illustrated All Glue Guy Award, will you get? Um, is like the best glue guy in Gator history. So I'll throw out like Dorian Finney Smith, just because I feel like he did. Now I know he won SEC six man of the year um, on a final four team, but I feel like the things that Dodo did uh, like gave Florida two glue guys on those teams. Cause like Dorian wasn't afraid to get out there and like guard your biggest mismatch. Um, but he also worked relentlessly to become a three point shooter uh he could be a mismatch and drive remember he had like a a thunderous dunk to win a game at alabama which came like off the bounce and everybody was like what in the world uh that was just him attacking a closeout he was a great rebounder to me that that's kind of the glue guy like he does a little bit of everything does nothing really phenomenally um you know and so i would add him uh to my list as sort of best florida glue guys and I'll let Eric uh, chat. Justin Leon comes to mind. Get into more recent uh, glue guy memory. Um, so there's a there's a few right there. Yeah, Justin Leon was the one I was gonna say say next. And it's just like again, not that this. I, I think you've got to just say like on the court when evaluating who's the best glue guy. But it is just something worth noting. Like every time we talk about Justin Leon, that like this is a guy that was committed to Mike White, and he was set to redshirt at Louisiana Tech. And instead of redshirting at Louisiana Tech, he came in and played right away for Florida and was and was good. Um, it's actually one of the ones that I like. Again, it was like the transition. It was early in Mike White's kind of tenure, but like, of course, like there was some definite misses with talent evaluation by Mike White. One of the ones that he doesn't get credit for, and I'm guilty of this when talking about all Mike White's misses, is is, is one of the things that he actually like nailed was was uh, uh, was Justin Leon. Um, so you know that was a. Uh, outstanding glue guy i'm gonna need a ruling from you on whether this guy um counts as a as a glue guy if you rule against this i wouldn't argue <laughs> mightily but um you know he was nine points ish you know five or six rebounds never really a star player would you count alex tyus as a glue guy or was he a little Ooh. bit too too important because and if you rule that or if anyone listening wants to rule not a glue guy 
that's that's reasonable because it's kind of that line like could you call Kavarius yeah. Hazy? Could you call Kavarius Hayes a glue guy? Because right. offensively, you know, yes, but like if it's like your clear anchor, do you like because so that that's another guy where it's like, you know, I, I almost think you could have called earlier Kavarius Hayes the glue guy, but then it's also like he was the centerpiece of Florida's offense for years. So so like I kind of feel like I can't put Kavarius Hayes as a glue guy. I feel like he was just a little bit too central to their defense. But yeah. yeah. So will will you will you count Alex Tyus or no and and feel no pressure? So I think early Alex Tyus probably, but like late career like double doubles in the NCAA tournament Alex Tyus yeah, probably yeah, yeah yeah you know what I mean um, and it's the same with Chris Richard right like is Chris Richard kind of a glue guy on back to back national champions? Actually, yeah, that's that's a clear one that I kind of missed that. yeah he's like, for sure a glue guy in my opinion i kind of think he is right like he's a guy because you know and and the most famous chris richard story which i don't know how many maybe our listeners are familiar with it maybe they're not it, it was potentially going to get into the the sec story and i think they left it out um but so ohio state wins their semifinal, and florida knows they're going to play ohio state for their second straight national championship and Florida had a coaches meeting. They do their team scout. And then the first guy that the staff met with um, before they talked about the scout was Chris Richard. Um, Billy Donovan went to Chris Richard's room um, with one of the assistant coaches and they knock on the door and Richard's in there playing PlayStation. And they said, Hey man, we want to talk to you about our game plan. Uh, for tomorrow and Chris said or for Monday and Richard of course you know come on in and uh, they said look um, nothing that happens tomorrow is going to look great on film for you Uh, and that's okay our plan is to just let Greg Odin do whatever he can do one-on-one but we are not going to let Michael Conley or any of these other guys that have been cooking all NCAA tournament beat us. Um, we, we have three big men that we think are terrific. They have one. Um, so when you're out there on Greg, you have to be okay with the fact that you might foul out. Um, and you're going to have to give minutes because Joe and I are going to need a break. Um, and Chris Richard said, Oh, that's what I was going to suggest in our video session was let's just play one-on-one. I'm ready for that. Um, and Billy Donovan said that was it. They didn't talk to him anymore. He gave one sentence and they left his room. They had anticipated like showing him clips and stuff, but it's like, that's how cerebral Chris Richard was. Like he was already on top of what the scout and plan would be when they went to his room, um, which I think is just such a neat story. And, uh, speaks to because that's kind of what a glue guy is too and i know it's definitely on the court but to me like knowing what a scout's going to be so you can get onto the court and execute is somewhat of what a glue player offers as well yeah i mean i'm it's 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 kind of interesting too like i mean i've been looking up and down the rosters while you were talking and and yeah i really don't feel like the gators have had a lot of glue guys even maybe eligible for for this list again i was the more I thought about Alex Tyus, the more I thought, yeah. no, it doesn't really work. It's kind of like the, like I said, like, I, I don't think it would be fair at all to put Kavarius Hayes as one or, you know, 
or, or Alex Tyus. So um, yeah, I think it's like the last glue guy that I would really say the Gators had was, was Justin Leon. And then before that it was like, will you get, so yeah, haven't been, haven't been a lot really, but uh, it's guys that uh, because they don't, it's not like every team has one. So when they do come around, um, it's uh, it's obviously very clear that they become huge fan favorites. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's special, and I think a lot of these teams that that uh, you know end up running late into March. You know, it's interesting how many good teams that are playing deep into March Madness. You can look at their roster and watch them play and be like, "That's their blue guy." You know, it's a trait that I think really good teams in college basketball have, and. So it's kind of a fun way to end the show, but we'll uh, let Eric sign you off. Thanks for listening. I know I had a lot of people who were actually DM'd and they're like, man, what's going on? And I'm like, no, nothing. We're just, uh, <laughs> I guess, basking in our off season. And also like to some extent waiting for something to happen. Um, but yeah, so thanks for, for listening and Eric will uh, sign us off. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.